So we are in the book of Ephesians. We're in the book of Ephesians, and we've been, we've been in the book of Ephesians for three weeks now. This is our fourth week, and I'm excited about our, our continuing journey. And for those of you who maybe have not been a part of any of the weeks, I like to do a, a, a little recap before we get uh, running here into this week's message. And so the book of Ephesians is uh, basically broken up into, into two sections, two clear sections. You have the first three chapters where the Apostle Paul spends his time telling us who God is, what he has done, and then who we are in Christ who we are in Christ. And then the, 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 the next three chapters, chapter four, five, and six, are all centered around the responsibilities we have in Christ Jesus and how we should live. And the Apostle Paul strategically, he strategically began with who we are in Christ. He didn't start with a list of do's and don'ts and this is how you should live and this is what you should do, this is how you should be, and then proceed to tell us who we are. He started by inspiration from the Holy Spirit with the revelation of the greatness of God, with the the revelation of the majesty of God, the power of God, his work for us on the cross, and and, and what that does in us and, and through us in our life for those who are found in Christ. He started there because that foundation changes everything. The foundation of who we are in our life, it, it informs how we should live. And when you get it backwards in your Christian life, and you begin to think that you have to try to live to try to prove who you are, you've got it all backwards. It's who you are that informs how you live, and it changes everything. And so that's the core of what the book of Ephesians is about. And we've been looking from week one, we look at the reality that we are adopted into the family of God, that we are his children, we are his sons and daughters. All those who place their faith in Jesus Christ are adopted into the family. And then we looked at the reality that those that are adopted have been redeemed and forgiven. They've been redeemed, they've been bought back from the slave market of sin, and their sins have been forgiven and forgotten. And then last week we looked at the reality that we have an incorruptible inheritance in Jesus Christ. That our inheritance will not corrupt. That we have received as an inheritance here and now, we've received as an inheritance very great and precious promises. That God makes promises to us as his children. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. That he is going to complete the work that he started in us. And those, that, that, that's a part of our inheritance. And then the other part of our inheritance is that one day when we die, we have hope and trust. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know that we will inherit eternal life. And we will forever be with Christ in heaven. And that is our inheritance. And so this, that's where we left off in Ephesians 1. And we're going to pick up in Ephesians 1 verses 15 through 23. And this is an amazing section here. This section, these verses here, it's like the Apostle Paul takes a praise break. He just went for 14 verses going to, the, to, to before the foundations of the world. He started before the foundations of the world. And then he, he talks about all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ Jesus. And it's like he's just overwhelmed with the reality of what he's just talked about to the church. And he just has to take a praise break. Have you ever had to take a praise break? You just thank God for everything that he's done. And you, want to, and you want to praise him and thank him. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul does here in these verses. And so as a way to kind of illustrate what we're getting at here, um, I, I, I just want you to know that, that most kids do not know the power that they have. So I just want to show you a picture of my newest child. This is Lincoln. Look at that little man. Isn't he precious? 
So cute, those beautiful eyes. He is, I, I, I tell him a lot, he's pretty. He's just a pretty baby. And when he gets older, I'm going to tell him he's handsome, but he's just a beautiful baby boy. And you know what's interesting about Lincoln is Lincoln does not know that he has power. He has lots and lots of power he has not tapped into yet. Right now, all that Lincoln thinks about is food and, and fighting his sleep. He's just, it's all about eating, sleeping, and diapers. That's all it's about for Lincoln right now. And Estelle's introducing all kind of different food. And I think we got avocados yesterday. We mashed up some avocados and he loved it. He especially loves sweet potatoes. He loves sweet potatoes. When he first tastes a little bit of those sweet potatoes, typically, you know, you got to put the spoon in and he's kind of like doing this with his mouth. You got to force it in. He had one taste of sweet potatoes. And when we would put the spoon back, he would do this. <laughs> he would lean in and open his mouth. That's all Lincoln knows. He, he doesn't have any understanding of the power he has. What type of power does Lincoln have? He has access to pawpaw. He has access to the ability to, to use that cuteness that he is naturally given by God, his creator, to his advantage. He doesn't know the power that he has. Now, Lincoln doesn't know, but this other child of mine knows. This child right here. That's Eliana Grace. That's my 10-year-old, going to be 11 here in August. She knows her power. And I told her when I took this picture, I said, make a face like you're begging me for something. And she knows that she has power with me. doesn't take very much for her to uh, convince me of something. And I I tend to not want to be the heavy when it comes with my precious Eliana. She knows her power. She She has come to understand it. And this right here, this idea of knowing our power is what the Apostle Paul is trying to illustrate in these verses right here. He is taking a pause, a praise break, a prayer break, and he is going to pray over and over again. He's going to say, oh, I, I wish that you would know everything that I just told you. You need to understand who you are in Christ. You need to know that you've been redeemed and forgiven. You need to know that you are adopted in his family. Oh, I wish that you would know it. And so let's look at this prayer. Let's look at this thanksgiving and praise and this prayer. And let's see what we can learn from these verses. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he gives thanks for them in verses 15 and 16 here. And then he says, this is what I'm praying. I pray for you. I pray for you that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. This is the key phrase right here. He says, I want you to know. And look, he's going to go over everything that we covered for the first three weeks. He says, I want you to know this, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above. Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave him as head over all things to the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Apostle Paul says, look, for 14 verses, this is what I've been telling you. This is who you are. This is what God has done. And I'm praying that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Do our, do, do, does, do, does our heart have eyes? We have no, I have no eyes on my heart. He's, he's speaking about divine revelation from God that you would understand at the very core of who you are. He's saying, he's saying, I just don't want you to intellectually know this. I just don't, I just don't want you just to have the wisdom and, and the insight, but I want the eyes of your heart to understand, to be enlightened, that at the core of your being, that you would know that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. At the core of your being, that you would know that if you are found in him and you are redeemed and forgiven, that you are brand new. That you have the inheritance of hope. That you have the greatness of his power that is alive and working in you. You have the Holy Spirit working in you. I want you to know at the core of your being what you have. That you may know this. That you may know this. So what does Paul pray that the believers would know? What does he want us to make sure to remember? And we're going to look at three areas in this prayer that we just read Three areas that we need to remember, that we need to remember that we have access to. The first one is this, is that we have a hope greater than our circumstances. We have a hope greater than our circumstances. Let's go back to the text, verses 17 through 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Where is this knowledge founded? It's not founded in secular psychology. It's not founded in secular thought. It's not founded in any other source. Where is this knowledge that the Apostle Paul wants us to have? It's in the knowledge of Christ. In the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope. This is the first thing he wants us to know. That what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Apostle Paul wants us to know. He wanted the church in Ephesus to know in the first century, and he wants us to know today in Homa, Louisiana, at Living Word Church, that we have a hope that is greater than our circumstances. And the, the word hope defined is defined as an optimistic expectation for a certain thing to happen. It's an expectation, it's a belief. Uh, that, that a certain thing that we're hoping for is going to happen. And he wants us to have a hope that is not founded on temporary circumstances. The, the foundation of our hope in this life is founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was raised, then we have hope in this life and we have hope after this life. You know, if you go to funerals, you go to funerals and, and it's, it's a moment in time at a funeral where you're forced to stop and evaluate. And you know, I... I I've, I've been able to do a few funerals over the years, and I always like to talk to the people that are there. And, and, you know, I don't know the spiritual condition of everyone that is at a funeral. I know that there are believers that are there, but I also know there are non-believers there. And what, and what I like to say at the beginning of a funeral is I like to say this. I like to point to the casket or to the urn, and, and I say, one day we're all, we will all be right here. Death comes for all of us. And it's a moment in time where we have to stop and evaluate what matters most. And there's nothing like a funeral that forces us to stop 
and to think my life will end one day. You know, we, we follow the clock, we follow the calendar, and our lives are so scheduled and ordered by time. But one day, time will stop for us. One day, time will stop on this earth for us, and we will be no more. And we will, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we will, we will be in heaven with the Lord. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But all men, whether saved or unsaved, they, they will spend eternity someplace. And so for us, our hope is not in the here and now. Our hope in death is in the reality that because of our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we know because Christ was raised, that we will be raised to newness of life in heaven for eternity. Our bodies will be redeemed. And that's the ground of our hope. But in this side, on this side of eternity, during our life here and now, people have no hope. They live with the sense of no hope. And the reason people live with no hope is because they don't fundamentally understand where they come from. They don't fundamentally understand what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. What did Paul tell us in the beginning of Ephesians 1? He said that God chose you before what? The foundations of the world. What does that tell us about God? It tells us that before you were ever born, that you were on his mind. Psalms 139 says that that before your life ever took shape, that you were fearfully and wonderfully made and that, and that the Lord knit you together in your mother's womb. That all the days of your life were written before you ever came and, and made your introduction into this life. That God thought about you. That you were fearfully, wonderfully created. And that's why people lack hope. Because they don't know where they come from. They don't know as human beings that they were divinely created by God. They were created in his image and his likeness. And when you take away that meaning... There's no meaning in life, and then there's no meaning in death. There's no hope. Death is the end. If I, if I am the result of a cosmic accident, if I am the byproduct of, of, of evolutionary processes, and that, and that at my core I have no substance of purpose and meaning, then there's no meaning in my life, and then there's no meaning in my death. If I came from, from, from organic material, that just happened to develop over the course of billions of years, then I'm just going to go back to the dirt and there's no purpose and there's no meaning and it's hopeless. And that's how people live. They don't, they don't necessarily think about that every day, but they think about it at funerals. They think about it whenever, whenever they realize that the stuff they're trying to drown those thoughts out with Money, possessions, pleasures, alcohol, drugs. They're trying to drown out those thoughts with those things. When they come down, when they come down from that experience, when they come down and they realize that relationships ultimately can't fulfill me, money ultimately can't fulfill me, possessions ultimately can't fulfill me, when they're in that place, they realize, hey, I have no hope. Where is hope? What is life? It's like Solomon in Ecclesiastes, richest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. He had all the relationships anyone could ever want in life. He had all the power and wisdom you could want. And what did he say about life? He said it's vanity. It's vanity. It's just just an accumulation of wealth and possessions and stuff. And at the end, it, it vanishes and it goes. And then he had a revelation from God. And he realized, Ecclesiastes 12, he said, here is my final conclusion. 
after I've mused about life, I've mused about the meaningness of life, I've mused about all these things, my final conclusion is this. This is what is most important in life. Fear God and obey his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. The foundation of our hope is in the reality that we come from God. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our hope is not linked to this earth. The circumstances of our life do not determine our hope. I don't have to have everything working out in my life for me to have hope. Because why do I, why, why do I think this way? Because I realize that I'm just passing through. I realize you can kill my body. You can take my possessions. You can take everything from me. But because my hope is grounded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me on the cross, then you can take everything from me. But I but, but you can't take my hope. You can, you can take my job. You can take respect in the community. You, you can take it all away from me. But I still have my hope because it's not founded in the here and now. The world's hope is based on earthly, circumst- earthly cir- circumstances. Because from an earthly perspective, this life is all we have. It will always be a temptation for us to misplace our hope. To place our trust in the wrong things. To place our trust in people. I'm here to tell you this morning, the only place that you can place your trust in that is trustworthy is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't place your hope in temporary things. The foundational understanding of our existence being founded upon God's definite plan changes everything. It changes how we view what matters most. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 says, says this, As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on who? But on God. But on God. Riches are temporary. Apostle Paul says here in Timothy, tell the rich, those people who have a lot of possessions and stuff, don't set your hopes on your stuff, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of, what, of that which is truly life. This life, along with all of its stuff, is passing away. And my hope, my hope is not set on temporary things. And this is what Paul wants us to know. He wants us to know that we have a hope that's not linked to this life. My hope is not set on temporary things. My hope is not linked to everything working out just like I want it to. My hope is in a God who fearfully and wonderfully created me. Long before my body was ever taking shape in my mother's room, God set his love on me. And it's in that love, it's in that love where I place my hope. Amen? First John 2 says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to this, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is what? Say it with me. Passing away. The world is passing away along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What is the will of God? What's the will of God that you need to do that you will abide forever? Submit to Jesus Christ. Whoever does the will of the Lord by submitting in faith to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, 
endures forever. But everything temporary, it's all passing away. And the Apostle Paul wants us to know, to remember that we have a hope that is greater than our temporary circumstances. Amen? Amen. Let's look at the second part of his prayer here. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. He says this, after he talks about the hope that we have that's not linked to our temporary circumstances, he says this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Secondly, what Paul is praying, secondly, according to this verse here, is that we need to know that we have the immeasurable power of God working in us. We have a hope. We have a hope that's not linked to here and now. And we have the immeasurable power of God that is at work in us. The very power that raised Christ from the dead is given to every believer at the point of salvation. Did you read? Let's put the verses back up here. I want to point something out. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. He says, and I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So, when do you get the power? When you believe. So when you become a Christian, you get the power. Do you remember earlier, I think it was maybe week one or two, I talked about the riches of his grace and that he, he gives us the, that grace according to his riches and I talked about how in that, that the picture there of according to his riches that he gives us his grace is that it would be like a billionaire donating to somebody and he would give $25 and he would give it out of his riches. But if the billionaire donated, if he's going to do it according to his riches, he would give millions of dollars because it would be in accordance with his riches. And so we talked about how that's how God gives us his grace. He lavishes his grace on us and it is according to his riches and he is infinitely rich, correct? So that means when God gives us his grace, you are, you are dunked in that grace. You are, it's all over you. When you're in Christ, you have his grace that, that permeates every part of your being. Let's go back to the text with that mindset here. Paul uses the same language. He says, I want you to know that you have the immeasurable greatness of his power. It's toward us who believe, and same language, according to the working of his great might. And listen to what he says here. How did he use, demonstrate this great might? That he worked, that might was what he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Did you guys get that? The same power that took the dead body of Jesus Christ in Joseph's tomb, that same power that resurrected the very body of Jesus Christ to newness of life, when we, by faith in Christ, believe in what Jesus did on the cross and through the power of his resurrection, that same resurrection power is yours at salvation. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Estelle, maybe they, don't, maybe they don't get it. Let's think about it for a second. The very same power, resurrection power. Some of you think, well, I just wish I could have victory. I just wish I could have victory. I wish I could, I wish I could have power to overcome in my life. You do. Amen. You do, you know, some people will tell you the power is in you. It's, it's in you, you've got the power. And they're coming at it from a totally different angle. They're trying to say that you can do it in your own strength and you, you just got to do it. That's not what Christianity says. 
Christianity says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That there was no hope for you. But that God raised you up to newness of life because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And then he infused you into the very core of your being. And Paul says, I want you to know this. And I want you to know this. That you have that resurrection power alive in you. That when you walk out these doors, when you go to your home, to your job, to the grocery store, wherever you walk, you have the resurrection power of God that is alive in your physical body. That gives you the power to have victory in every area of your life. That's what Paul is saying here. That same power. Far too often we can be tempted to believe. Listen to this. We can be tempted to believe that God's withholding something from us. And is waiting for us to earn the remainder of his blessings and power in our life. So we can live our Christian life always looking, always grasping. We just need something else. God, I just need, I need the, the next level. I need the next level of blessing, the next level of power. When you got saved, look, if you got the resurrection power, look, this is not made. This is God's word. God's word says you got the resurrection power. What greater power is there out there? And not only that, what did we look at last week? You got the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in you. So you got the indwelling presence of the Spirit. You got the resurrection power of Christ in you. There's nothing else you need. Nothing else that you're lacking as a believer in Jesus Christ. You've got it all. You have all the power. You have all the strength. You have all the wisdom. You have all the understanding. It's, 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 it dwells in you, and then it's right here in your hands. You've got it all. You're lacking nothing. That victory over sin and oppression, it's all, it's all yours. We're tempted to believe that God just, you know, he's like, it's kind of like the uh, carrot dangling theology. That's what I like to call it. Carrot dangling theology. That, you know, you just got to really pursue God really hard because he's got something else out there. And you guys got to work really hard to get it. And whenever he recognizes you're passionate enough, he's going to give you the carrot. I mean, that's not what Scripture said. That's not what we just learned, right? What we learn from Scripture is that we have it all. And it's not in us, in our ability, but it's in Christ that is in us. It's his resurrection power. It's his strength. You know, in Paul's day, there was a false teaching that was popular. It was a teaching that centered around the idea that there was a secret knowledge that only the initiated or elite could understand. And in In Colossae, in the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul dealt with this false doctrine head on. And it was this idea that you, you, for you to gain this extra knowledge, this extra power, this extra insight, you had to be a part of the inside club. There was something else out there that you didn't really have or you didn't really get and that you needed to do something else to get it. You had to be a part of the, the inside club. And the apostle Paul deals with it. And this is what he says in Colossians chapter two. It says, therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the the world, and not according to Christ. Listen to this. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him. 
who is the head of all rule and authority. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or in drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. That's the idea, that's the idea that you have to withhold things from your physical body for the sake of trying to appear spiritual. Let, 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 let no one say that, that, that these are things you have to do to try to be spiritual or earn God's power or the worship of angels or, or going on into detail about visions puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. We have everything. Why? Because we are connected with Christ. And the source of the power comes from the head. And who's the head? It's Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. His divine power, the, the, the power of Christ, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We're not looking for anything else. And if you're looking for, for something else, I challenge you, quit looking. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're looking for something else, I challenge you, quit looking. It's here. It's here. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the power of his word. You have the resurrection power of God in your life. You have all the resources you need in your life to live a spiritually mature, healthy, content life in victory in your life. God made it available to you. He didn't withhold anything from you. He's a gracious, loving God. And, he's, and it was the joy of his heart to pour that all on you when you became a, a believer in him. Now, if you're not a believer here this morning, you don't have anything. You don't have resurrection power on the inside of you. And where is your hope? You have no hope. If your hope is not in Jesus Christ, you have no hope. And all of this resurrection power, victory in your life, the fullness of the Spirit is available for you when you acknowledge who God is and you acknowledge who you are apart from Him and you place your faith in what He did on the cross for you. It's yours. It's available for you. But if you're a believer, you have what you need. It, it belongs to you. It is your inheritance. And the Apostle Paul wants us to know that. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. So what's, what's the What's the power available for? Why do we have the power? I've got the power. Why do we have it? Why did God give us his resurrection power? Why did he give us his Holy Spirit? What's the purpose of all of it? To glorify God, that's correct. Let's look back at the text for our third the third thing that we need to look at here that we have access to, Ephesians 1, 21 through 23, he says this. He says that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So we have a hope. We have resurrection power that's in us and we have victory through the name that is above every other name we have victory through the name that is above every other name jesus's name is where the source of power is found that's the power that is at work in us so what's the point of the power is so that we can walk in victory 
we have victory through the name above every name. I want to read to you about Jesus here. Who is Jesus? Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Listen to this. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' incarnation, when he came and to walk the earth, he was given a name that is, every, uh, that, that is above every other name because of what he submitted to. Because of the power of what he did on the cross and the power of the resurrection, God has highly exalted Jesus. And that is through the resurrection that he's been given a name that is above every name. So that's the incarnation. That's the cross and the resurrection. But in the future, Revelation 19, 11 through 16 Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. In the incarnation, Jesus came as a humble servant. He came in the likeness of sinful humanity. But in the end, how does he come? I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name. Written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. The book of John. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Verse 14. And the word was God. And the word became flesh. He is called the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen. White and pure. Were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has a name that is above every other name. The name of Jesus is exalted above every other name. No one is greater than Christ. No one is greater than Christ and no thing is greater than Christ. Nothing that you can name, oppression, depression, sin, anxiety, fear, every other thing that can be named, the name of Jesus is greater than all of those names and this is the purpose of the power of God in your life. So you can have victory in every area that the enemy seeks to oppress you in. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Some of you, you've been looking and longing for victory in your life. If you're a believer, you have that victory because you have the name that is above every other name living on the inside of you. You, Name it. Name the problem. Name the addiction. Name the oppression. Name any of it. Name whatever you want to name. The name of Jesus is greater than that. Name it. The name of Jesus is greater. It's greater. It's greater. In Christ, we are free from sin. We're free from sin. In his name, we are free from the curse of sin. 
His name is above everything the enemy of our soul desires to use to enslave and control us. Every knee must bow to his name. We have a hope, we have a power, we have victory. Hope, power, and victory. And it's founded on the name of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to remind the church of Ephesus the profound realities of our inheritance in Christ. The same is true for us. We need to be reminded of the great resources we have. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in circumstances or situations working according to our plans. Our hope is in a God who has begun a good work in us long before we were ever born. We have every resource needed for our spiritual life. And these resources are provided to us through the limitless power of God at work in our lives through the work of the Spirit and through the power of God's Word. You have all the resources you need. It's founded on Jesus Christ. Amen. Won't you stand to your feet with me? The other day I was driving to work. I get tired of listening to Christian radio. Anybody get tired of listening to Christian radio? Am I the only one? Oh, my goodness. They play like, I think they just play the same song over and over again just to drive us crazy. <laughs> As it drives me a little bit crazy. Whether it's K-Love or Life Songs. I just go to, I'm at Life Songs. I go to K-Love. They're playing the same song. It happens so many times. Like, do you have any other songs to play? And I don't believe they do. So they've run out. But I'm driving to work here last week, or earlier this week, and I hear a song I've never heard before. And I start listening to it. And I'm like, oh, this song is amazing. This song actually talks about the fact that we've been chosen. And then it talks about that we've been ransomed. Then it talks about that our Father has reserved a place for us. It talks about that we are, we are children of God. And I thought, man, this is like the theme song for our series. This is the theme song for our series in Christ. And so this is how I want to end the service. They're going to sing and we're going to worship. Think about all the things we've covered these four weeks. And let's worship together in this song. And then we'll be dismissed.
that we've chosen, we're called. We belong to you. Amen. You are dismissed. See you next week.